Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. God, we want to be a people of one thing. A people that desires nothing else but your presence. Lord, I thank you for the many-faceted beauty of who you are. blowing the shofar this morning and I just felt this pull in my gut of the need to pray freedom over strongholds in our families, maybe even ourselves that are too big for us but they are not too big for him who broke the power of death so I just want to pray into that right now and I want if, if you have a situation in your life or someone in your family, I want you to think of it. And as, as I pray, we need, to, we need chains to be broken. We're going to be proclaiming freedom. And Scott, even if you want to blow that during the prayer, please do that. So God, we stand here as a company today covered by the blood of Jesus. And God, I thank you for the freedom that you have brought to our lives but it is ongoing freedom. And God, right now we stand in intercession for those who are bound with bondages too big for them to break. And right now, God, we declare in the spirit, freedom in Jesus' name, freedom in Jesus' name. Those strongholds must come down in the name of Jesus. God, we don't fight with flesh and blood. We are fighting against strongholds, against principalities, and we say, because of the blood of Jesus, because of his covenant, you must come down and obey the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, God, we thank you that you are fighting on our behalf. We don't have the strength, God. We don't have the authority, but you do. God, loose your angels. Loose your authority into our families. In Jesus' name, bondages of addiction pornography, alcohol, drugs, homosexuality, depression, fear, anxiety. We cover it in the blood of Jesus right now when we ask you, God, bring them down. Bring them down, God. We thank you, Jesus. We say yes and amen, God. We know you have brought us into full freedom. You've brought us into freedom because you want us to be free indeed. Let our families and our children be free indeed, oh God. And I thank you for the promise in Acts 16, 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be saved and all of your household. We ask for all of our households, God. All of our households, God. If there are prodigals, if there are unsaved, we say all of our households, God. We ask for your promises, Father. Release them now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So, I'm glad you're all in here today. You didn't all go with the children the gym. <laughs> so, I'm counting Omer. You say, what's that? Well, that gets me from Passover to Shavuot. Well, what's that? Well, Julianne just said it a minute ago. We're going to celebrate Pentecost Sunday. 
That's Christian. You know what it is on the Jewish calendar? It's the Feast of Weeks. You count 50 days from Passover to the Feast of Weeks. That's right in the middle of the calendar year. It's the celebration of the early harvest. And it is the only feast in which they use leavened bread. What's unique about that? Every other feast, they, they use unleavened to get the metaphorical sin out of the house. But this feast, they use leaven in their bread. And I think, I think that's a picture of the church. Guess what it is for us? It's Pentecost. The fire fell in that room. And on the same day, the children of Israel got the Torah on Mount Sinai. And there was thunder. And there was lightning. So when you think, well, I'm not connected to the Jewish people. Oh, yes, you are. Your church started with a Jewish Messiah. The entire church was Jewish. And we got grafted in. We're privileged. The child that's adopted can say, you picked me. The rest of the kids, yeah, no choice. Sorry, Isaiah. <laughs> so we've been on a little journey as we've come from Easter to today. On Easter, Pastor Scott talked about saved, healed, and delivered. That was a powerful message. Because it was Resurrection Day, right? Last week, he spoke on repentance. And so I hope, I hope today that the word that we have, and I really believe God gave us this word for today, will speak in the same way. Oh, pardon me while I get things aligned here. I want to read a scripture to get started. This is in Isaiah chapter 40, it's verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. <laughs> His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. I need that today. I think you all need that today. And that's where we're going to start. So, I want to ask God to bless our time in the Word. So Lord, I thank You that You've given us clear instruction in Your Word. Help, help me to make it clear as well. Because You're clear. <laughs> You're crystal clear. Help my words to bring out the things that we need to hear today. Change my heart, oh God, and renew our right spirit within me. Thank You, Lord. Thank You for the time together. And we ask this in Your name. So, have you, have you ever, and I'm going to guess in a room this size, some of you have experienced broken relationship. I don't, I'm not asking for a raise of hands. But I'm just... Well, you can if you want to. Um, what does it feel like when that, that relationship between you and somebody else falls apart? A friend that you've had for 30 years and something happens and now you don't talk anymore. You used to talk every day. You used to laugh and have a great time and something happened and broke that relationship. That's not where I'm starting, but that's where I'm going to. So plug that in your mind 
And I want to give you a scripture in Colossians. This is chapter 3, verse 12. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. We're going to come back to that, that idea. But I want to tell you a story. Usually, pastor saves the story till the end of the message, right? I'm going to tell you the story up front. Because I want you to remember this story as we talk today. So there was a lady got a job at a textile factory. And her job was to run a loom, a manual loom. <coughs> Excuse me. I know absolutely nothing about looms. And she didn't either. So her boss spent a little bit of time, explained how you loop the, the yarn into the loom and how it worked. And he let her try out her job. He watched her. She was doing pretty good. So his only instruction was, if anything happens, if anything happens, call me. Do not try to fix this problem on your own. And so he left. Left her to try her job. And she was going fine for about half an hour. And then something, some, some loop came off. And she, oh, that's simple. I can fix that. Right? Well, she did that. And it just made the problem worse. You ever been in that situation where you, you think you can fix it, so you try something, and not only is it not fixed, now it's worse than before you started. So now she's getting pretty invested in this problem. You know, <laughs> what I'm saying is she's getting mad. Uh, we, we never get mad, right? Right. Um, so she's getting pretty worked up. She's, she's really, really into the problem, and her boss comes back in. And he said, what'd you do? And she said, well, I, I did this. I fixed the problem. And he said, no, you didn't. And she said, I'm doing the best I can. And he said, no, you're not. I told you, call me. I'll come fix the problem. In her mind, she was doing the best that she could. And in actuality, she wasn't. But we're there. We're there a lot. And we think, I'm doing the best I can, God. Just like this lady. Keep it in your mind, we're going to come back to this. This little story about this lady. So today, we're in the book of 2 Corinthians. So class, who wrote 2 Corinthians? The same guy that wrote 1 Corinthians, I know. That's <clears throat> Who's the author of 2 Corinthians? Paul. Saul. A Christian hater. Held the coats of the men that stoned Stephen, Right? That's Paul. And that something happened when he was headed to Damascus. He had a paradigm shift. His mind got changed. He was blinded by the light. Jesus took over in his life and changed a direction from a Christ hater to what? A Christ lover. That's Paul. 
I believe that he wrote 14 books of the New Testament. Well, I don't count 13. I think he wrote Hebrews. We can debate that. But I think that's Paul. Paul's very, very logical. In fact, he's hard to read because his sentences go on for verse after verse after verse after verse, and you're going, take a breath, Paul. So who was he writing to? He was writing to a church that he had started. And where was that church? Look at the name. It was Corinth. Do you know where Corinth is? Well, it's somewhere, yeah, it's in Greece. And actually, we were just in Athens a few weeks ago. And Corinth is not that far from Athens. It's just about due east. And Corinth has something amazing. It's got this huge, deep, man-made canal that connects, I get these seas mixed up, the Ionian Sea and the Aegean Sea. This, this canal is massive. I mean, you, it's almost like looking in the Grand Canyon. It's so deep. But Corinth sits right on the sea. And just like Athens, there are temples. I mean, they're ruins now, but there were temples there to all the Greek gods. So Paul's writing to a church that's in a mess. They're just messed up. Anything like us? Probably. But Paul was having to defend his ministry. And in fact, from what I've read, there's, this is probably 4th Corinthians, and there's probably two books that we never got. Believe that or not, because we don't have them, so I can't tell you it's true. Anyway, he's writing to defend his ministry to this church in Corinth. And so, let's go to chapter 5, and I want to read together just a little bit. I don't mean read out loud. Did you ever do that when you were growing up? We're going to read together from the Scripture. Wow, that's, that, that's a long time ago because we all use King James. It was not a problem, right, when I grew up. Now we've got 1,500 translations, and, and they are, they're all helpful. I'm, don't get me wrong, but we used to read the Scripture together. Just listen to me read. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, that's not physical, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavenlies. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. Verse 4, For indeed while we are in this tent we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in order that what is mortal might be swallowed up by life. That's not my message, but I'm telling you, that verse is worth the price of admission today. Get that in your spirit. We're going to go on, and there's another good one. Now, He who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, you know this verse, for we walk by faith, not by... Okay, sometimes you have to quote that verse to yourself. You ever been in the situation where you realize, I'm way beyond what I can do. Sometimes you think, I'm way beyond what God can do, right? When the doctor gives you that report that says, yep, you get a brain scan and you realize you're in early onset Alzheimer's. What do you do? We walk by faith, 
and not by sight. And that's not an easy thing to do sometimes when it's right in my life and it's stirring everything up and I don't know where to go. Write it on a card. Put it on your... Uh, put it on a post-it note. Put it up in your mirror. We walk by faith, not by sight. You know that, but do you know that? We've all got stuff in our lives. Stuff that messes with us. we got this everyday routine that we want to follow. Why, I don't know. But we want to follow it. And things mess with it. You need some place to go. We walk by faith, not by sight. That was definitely worth the price of admission. For we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So I'm going to skip down a little bit. Down to verse 14. For the love of Christ controls. I think King James says constrains us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That's going to be important in just a minute as we get to these next verses. So verse 16, Therefore, now, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. You ever look at somebody and you think, man, that's a doof. You didn't have to laugh at that. That was. You look at me and you think, well, he could never change the oil in his car. I have. I don't anymore. See, my philosophy was, where'd the oil come from? The ground. I'm going to put it back there. They frown on that today. I don't know why. I just put back what we took out. Slightly modified. So now that I can't drop the oil on the ground, oh, I, I'm sorry, I get sidetracked. I, I was at Fort Carson in Colorado Springs, and we were hired, an engineering company I worked for, to figure out why all their effluent out to the river was so polluted. So to begin with, we just walked around and watched what they did. Well, we found out that the easiest place to change the oil in a tracked vehicle was to pull over the storm sewer and drop the oil. You find the easiest route and you take it. <laughs> so that was number one. Stop that. It's not a good thing for the river. <laughs> and then we found out that in the same place, they washed all the tracked vehicles after they dropped the oil out. So you got two pollutants. Oil slick, soap slick, right out to the river. So, the project installed a new track wash facility and an oil change facility solved the problem. I don't know why I told you that, but <laughs> you look at me and you think, well, he can never change his own oil. I did, until I can't. But don't we do that with people? Don't we look at them and think, he can never do whatever. And we stereotype people in our head, and that's wrong. I'm sorry, there's some people that are so highly intelligent and you look in your mind, you think, oh, well, that's a doofus. They're not. You just don't know it. God says, don't judge people by their outside appearance. And guess what? Sometimes we do that as Christians, don't we? 
We get real hung up on looking at what people do and forget about who they are in Jesus. I'm a redeemed saint of God. And that changed everything for me when I came to that realization. So, go past the external. So, verse 14, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. So this is where I really want to get started today, is verse 17. This verse, of all verses, has stuck with me since college. Everybody's got a verse like that, right? This is the one that, I, that God gave me. And it starts with the word, what? Therefore. Here's a little clue. If there's a therefore... You want to see what it's there for. Because Paul is so logical, sometimes you get lost. <laughs> you know, because he'll go on verse after verse after verse. And what is he talking about? Stop. What's it there for? I mean, it's a really simple principle of Bible study, but stop. What's it there for? That's why I read the verses in front of it. Therefore, from now on, Oh, I'm sorry, we're in verse 16. This is 17. Therefore, if any man or woman or child is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's some things that we need to unpack out of this. First thing, what does he mean by new? New. Get a new car? Still a car. What does he mean by new? So in the Greek, there's two words that, at least two, that talk about new. Neos is a word that means something of the same kind. So let's say you're in school and you had a number two yellow pencil. And most of these guys are going, and why do I need that to write on my Indian chief tab? I'm sorry. I do cultural references. Some of you are smiling. You remember the Indian chief and the big number two pencil. Well, one of the tricks that people would do, they take that wooden pencil and they do that. Now you had two pencils. And it was not nice. So if I got another pencil, that's naos. Same thing. Kainos, a different Greek word, means something new but of a different kind. Now plug that into this verse. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new not the same as what you were before you were in Christ. You're new in a totally different way. That's how Christ changes my life. I'm new. I'm kainos. Don't ever forget that. That's why this verse has stuck with me through the years. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, what does that mean? Well, I think to unpack that, we've got to look at what's the problem. What problem did God have to solve? Well, I don't know of any place better to go than to the book of Genesis. So, stick your finger, put a marker on your phone in 2 Corinthians. We're going back to Genesis. And again, you, you know this story, but I just want to, I want to put it back in your head. 
So, here's Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. They've had daily communication with God. Can you imagine what that would be like? What would that be like? To walk in the garden, but they had it. And they blew it. Eve ate of something and gave it to her husband. And foolishly, he listened to his wife. That's probably not good marriage advice. I'm just saying. <laughs> so verse 7, it says, The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. What's significant about that? In that one verse, we see the roots of religion. I'm going to do what I can. I'm doing the best I can. Remember the story? I'm doing the best I can. Now I know I'm naked and I had to go get something to cover me up. I'm doing what I can. And God is not at all pleased with that. Because they broke fellowship. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said, Where are you? Well, he knew where he was. He wanted Adam to raise his hand, right? Does God ever do that to us? Where are you? And he knows he wants you to raise your hand. I'm right here. And I messed up. I messed up big time. I really messed up, God. And he did. And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of life which I commanded you not to eat? And here we go. Here's the blame game. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, who is this you have done? Or what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle of the earth and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And here's, here is the key verse of the panorama of the entire Bible. Genesis 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity or hatred or strife between you and the woman, the serpent. Between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And that started it all. That's where everything starts to spin around. When man says, I can do it myself, I've done the best I can. What does God do? We're going to skip ahead a few verses. Verse 21, And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Where did the skins come from? They came from animals. What had to happen? They had to die. Without the shedding of blood, there is no covering remission of sins. This is God instituting His plan so early, we see it. Over and over and over. But here's the first. He said, religion doesn't work. It's only by accepting what I've done for you in a sacrifice. 
So in the whole of the Old Testament, God promises that He will destroy death. And then in the New Testament, He shows us how He's going to do it. In the Old Testament, God says, I'm going to destroy death. And then in the New, He says, here it is. What words does Jesus use as He describes Himself? Book of John, there's seven of these. Jesus says, I am. I'm the bread of life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's seven of them. I am. Sounds like simple words. In the Greek, ego ami. But in the Hebrew, this is the voice of God in the burning bush when He says to Moses, I am who I am. Hiyah, asher, hiyah. Listen to me. Jesus is saying, I am the voice in the burning bush. Listen to me. I am. So, to, to be in Christ, what does that mean? Well, I mean, honestly, we could spend the whole message talking about that, but I'm just going to give it a brief. We've been given grace before the world was created. We were chosen by God before creation. We're loved by God with an inseparable love. We're redeemed and we're forgiven. We're justified before God and righteous. We are a new creation and a son of God. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is new of a totally different kind creation. The old sinful things have passed away. Behold, new kainos things have come. What's our problem? We're not righteous, and God is. Right? He's holy. He's just. He's pure. And as being holy, He cannot tolerate sin at all. That's our problem. Because we're what? We are S-I-N positive. Every one of us, thanks to Adam and Eve, we read it. That's our problem. And that's an irreconcilable difference. There's the word today. Reconciled. It's a, you ever talk to people that go through a divorce? And they say, well, we had irreconcilable differences. We couldn't ever see eye to eye. So we were divorced. We have the same kind of problem with God. We try to sow fig leaves, and God says, that doesn't work. I've done the best I can, and it's not good enough. So where do we go with that? Where did God go with that? He said, I have to provide a sacrifice for you. So the solution. God doesn't give us problems that don't have solutions. Yeah, put that on that same post-it where it says we walk by faith and not by sight. God doesn't give us problems that do not have solutions. Romans chapter 5. I want to read just a little bit. Therefore, having been justified by what? By faith. Justified. It's a legal action whereby God, the righteous judge, declares sinful man to be righteous. Right relationship. We're good. That what's, that's what it means to be justified. Some people define it as just as if I'd never sinned. That's way too simple. Because that cost 
God to hang His Son on a cross. It's not that simple. That was the price. So therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. You know the Hebrew word for peace? Somebody said it. Shalom. You know it. Do you know the root of that word? It comes from the Hebrew leshalem, which means to pay. To pay. Not to pay. Sorry. Yeah, Scott, you're raising your hand. You're welcome. To pay. Two words. To pay. How do you get peace? It comes at a price. It comes at a price. So the root of peace is a payment had to be made. So if you think this is deep stuff, it is. And I don't apologize. Because this is so foundational to who we are as new creations in Christ. So verse 2 in in Romans 5, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. What's grace? I always contrast it with mercy. Mercy is God not giving me what I deserve. Grace is God giving me what I do not deserve. And I know Pastor Jason said, I hate acrostics. Well, here's an acrostic. You've probably heard grace. Make, Make the letters God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Grace. (laughs) So let's go on with with, uh, Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates that that's present perfect. That means it's going on right now. God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died died for us. Much more than having now been justified by what? By His blood we shall be saved from the wrath of God. We have a problem. We have a God of wrath. People don't, they see that in the Old Testament and they think that's all God is. That's only one of His attributes. What does it say in the New? God is, right? How does God balance that? The sin had to be paid for. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's the word for today. Reconciliation. So I'm going to go old school. I'm old enough that when I paid bills, I use checks. Ooh, that's really old. Some of these young guys have no clue what a check is. <laughs> Do you? Well, here's the problem. Sometimes I didn't write the amount down correctly when I put it in my little ledger in the checkbook. And what happens? The bank sends you a notice and says, you've got $5 in your account. And you say, well, according to my ledger, I've got $50. Somewhere, there's a problem. And guess who doesn't have the problem? The bank. You do. (laughs) So you go searching through all of these checks that you wrote down to find out which one did I write down wrong. And what's that process called? Reconciling 
your checkbook with the bank. You have an issue with the bank, or the bank has an issue with you, however you want to look at it, if you're overdrawn. And you reconcile that difference, and you find out where you made the mistake, because it's probably not the bank. And if it was, they probably won't admit it. Sorry, Martha. Reconcile. You ever get into a situation with a person? We talked about it earlier. It just can't work. Maybe it's a family member. I think we could probably all get a raise of hands on, there's that one person in my family that I wish they would change their name and go somewhere else because we don't want them in the family. Y'all know what I'm talking about? A broken relationship that may never get healed. But if it does, what has happened? We've reconciled. We've made up our differences. But you see, it does not work that way with God. In the same way that I tried to get my checkbook register to match the bank, God does not change His mind. Does He? He said, I'm righteous, I'm holy, I'm just, and you're not. That is never going to change. So therefore, I've got to provide a way. Or I'm just a mean, angry God. If you look at pagan religions, there's a whole spectrum of gods. One of which is Baal. You know Elijah in Kings? Where he meets the the prophets of Baal up on on Mount Carmel. And they have this little uh, contest. Okay? Your God telling to light the fire on the altar. And they wait. And they cut themselves. Do everything that they can. They yell, they scream. And Elijah, strangely enough, has a good time with this. Because he said, well, maybe your God's on vacation. Like Pastor Scott is today. Or he even says, maybe he's relieving himself. Now there is a concept. That's what it says. Go check it out. (laughs) And he made fun of these prophets. And then what did Elijah do? He gave the altar a handicap because he knew who his God was. And they poured water. Not once, not twice, but three times. Right? And it was right in the middle of a drought. So they took the water and they poured it on the altar. And Elijah says, watch this. I walk by faith and not by sight. Bam! Baal is a God in in that culture that was totally apathetic. Go to the other end of the extreme and there is a God called Molech. You ever heard of him? In order to satisfy the demands of Molech, they would take their baby and they'd put it in a fire. Well, that sounds really cruel. Yes, it is. Let me tell you, we do the same thing today. We just sacrifice to Molech in a different way. And millions of babies die. Molech was a hostile God and he demanded the sacrifice of an infant. So you got Baal that is totally disengaged, and you got Molech on the other end of the spectrum that says, I'm demanding your child. So what do we do? Well, let's go on. We'll go back to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. Now all these things, what are these things? Look up. What we just said. This is Paul. This is Paul being Paul. Now all these things are from God, 
who reconciled, who repaired us in our relationship to Him through whom? Through Christ. How did it happen? The word is tetelestai. It has two meanings. It means it is finished. When Jesus hung on that cross, and those were the word, last words out of His mouth, He said, it is finished. But it also means paid in full. Paid in full. You don't have peace without payment. When Jesus hung on that cross, and He was totally separated from His Father in heaven, what were His words? Eloi, Eli. Lama Sabachthani! My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To Telestai, paid in full. If you look in the book of Revelation, you will see a scroll that's bound up. And no one was worthy to open the scroll. The angels were lamenting because it was sealed with a seal. And who came? The Lamb of God. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. He could open the scroll. He solved the problem. We're sinners. God is not. That's a big problem. So now, verse 18. God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave to us, gave to us, that is everyone in this room, everyone in the body of Christ. He said, I give to you a ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? First off, it means that I have the privilege, I have the responsibility. Something inside me changed when Jesus took over my life. And now, I have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Meaning, I need to share that. That's the good news. It changed inside of me. I'm new. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. It's different. That's what we got to tell the, the, the Greek word uh, euangelion. means good news. It means literally victory in battle. The battle's won. The price has been paid. We have a sacrifice. Read the book of Hebrews. There's a new and a better covenant. That's what the whole book is about. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. What is it? It's not that simple. We can go out and we can talk to people about Jesus. And sometimes you get, really? I can have new life? Really? I can be set free? And then you get, but you realize what you're doing. Your ministry of reconciliation is very similar to the ministry of reconciliation that you might have with a family member or a friend or a co-worker where things broke down. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And there's no turning back. Once you say yes to Jesus, this is not negotiable. We've been told you have a ministry of reconciliation. It's not a burden, it's a privilege. So, verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ, 
reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's how he did it. In the old, he said, I'm going to destroy death. And in the new, this is how he did it. Not counting their trespasses against them because of Jesus' sacrifice. I love this quote. This is from John Stott. The problem of forgiveness is constituted by the inevitable collision between divine perfection and human rebellion. Between God as He is and us as we are. The end of verse 19, He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Let me give you something from the book of Acts. You know these verses in Acts 1. And so when they had come together, they were asking Him, saying, Lord, is it at this time You are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Sometimes I wonder when I read statements like that. Verse 7, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs or the seasons, the appointed times, which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you shall receive what? Dynamite. The word is power. But the Greek word is dunamis, which means I'm going to blow everything up in just a second. (laughs) You will receive power when what? The Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. You will be giving the word of reconciliation to whom? The people in Jerusalem. Then the people in Judea. So your city. Your region. And then he says go to some place that a good Jew would never go. Where does he tell them to go? Samaria. He says go and minister to the half-breeds that live in Samaria. They're dogs to you, but you go and minister to them. Who was, who was Jesus' story about? It was the good Samaritan, wasn't it? He wasn't the good Jew. The Jews messed up. It was the dog that took care of the wounds of that man. So he says, do it in your city, do it in your region, Go to the people you don't even want to go to. Go to the drug dealers who not only messed up your child's life, but a whole bunch of other child's lives. You go and you share the good news. You share that word of reconciliation because you're my ambassadors. That's the word that's coming up. So in verse 20, he says, Therefore, you are my ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? He's sent by a country to another country, a foreign country, that is not his own. And what does he do? He does not represent his own interests. He represents the interests of the country that sent him. We are all ambassadors. And we're not representing our interests. We are representing the interests of the one who sent us. As though God were entreating through us. We beg, we implore, we urge. The Greek there is parakaleo. Okay, so what? You ever heard the term paraklete for the Holy Spirit? Our advocate? Similar word. Or parable, parabolos. 
meaning you're laying one story down alongside another to compare the two. That's a parable. So the word there is you, you, you are ministers of reconciliation. That's your job. That's my job. Because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ His. The message doesn't get any simpler than that, but it, it just blows my mind. Because why would God sacrifice His Son for me? I don't know. It makes no sense. But He did. Verse 21 pretty much explains it. He, being God the Father, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin. The Greek word there is gnosko. What does that mean? That means similar to the, the relationship, the experience that a husband and wife have with each other. Something they knew experientially. That's gnosko. So he said, Jesus who knew, He never ever experienced any sin to be sin on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So, I know I've quoted this before, but it's one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. This comes out of mere Christianity. And some people will say, yeah, I believe Jesus was a good moral teacher. He was. But that's not who He was. They won't say, I believe He's the Son of God. They'll make up some other reason. This is, this is what Lewis said. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really, really foolish thing that people often say about Him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept His claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg, and my guess is Lewis was probably eating breakfast when he wrote that, or else he would be the devil of hell. Lord, liar, lunatic. The trilemma. You must either make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But do not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. He's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. You can't pick any other choice. And that's the trilemma that we have to deal with. So He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf that we might become, what? The righteousness, the right relationship that we need of God, where? In Him. Martin Luther said, Lord Jesus, You took on You what was Mine, and You set on Me what was Yours. When Jesus hung on the cross, Pilate put above Him a title, a titlon. It was in, what, 
Greek and Hebrew and Latin. So everybody would know who this, this crucified man was. And what it, what it said, and some people you know, dispute me on this, but just stay with me. What it said in the Hebrew was, and remember, Hebrew reads right to left, Yeshua Hanatsarai, Yamelech, Hayechudim, Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. If you take the first letter out of those Hebrew words and put them up, what do you get? Yod, hey, Bob, hey. We say Jehovah. That's the name that the Jews will not pronounce. That's what Pilate said this man hanging on this cross was. And all the Jewish leaders said, no, 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 no. no. Say, he said that I was this. And Pilate said, what? What I have written, I've written. I really, really think Pilate understood who this, this man hanging on this cross was. Yod, hey, Bob, hey, the unpronounceable name of God. That's who hung on the cross for you. Moved by the perfection of his holy love, God in Christ substituted Himself for us sinners. That's John Stott. So, I'm going to sound like Pastor Scott, but I've got to figure out how to land this plane. And you're all saying, please, land the plane. Um, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to the 1970s. And I had this brought out to me so clearly when I watched the movie Jesus Revolution. If you haven't seen it, you know, see... That's the problem. I was alive in the 70s. That's the problem. But uh, Things don't work the way they used to work. Um, but I was alive in the 60s and 70s. I was, I was in middle school, and I was in high school, and then I was in college. And I saw something happen in this country, and it broke the country. If you were alive, this is what you saw. You saw race riots all over the nation. You saw leaders of our country get assassinated. Probably one of the fav favorite presidents in recent history was John F. Kennedy. And he was assassinated. Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. Malcolm X was assassinated. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And I felt like the country was coming apart. In the midst of all that... I'm a teenager, and this country was involved in a war. It wasn't a war. It was a, what? It was a conflict, yes. Started out with uh, the Bay of Tonkin. It wasn't a war, trust me. And so they decided the way that they would get soldiers was they'd assign a number to your birthday. You got a draft number. My draft number was 125. And they were pretty much taking everybody they could get. So I was in college, and I had a student deferment, but I knew it was going to go away. And I wasn't ready, and some of our men have served in, in Vietnam and understand what it's like. I did not. My cousin, probably my best friend in the world at that time, his draft number was one. Number one. You are going to be the first one we take this year. Think how that would feel. 
So I knew my good friend was going to go and serve. And I had friends that physically did not come back from Vietnam. They died there. And I had friends that did not come back mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And it was, it's miserable because there, some of them are still that way. They came home, but they didn't come home. So we got assassinations. We got a war that seemingly nobody wanted. Sorry, conflict. And people started to rebel against the system because they thought, well, there's got to be something better than this. And so in 1967, there was a big gathering, Golden Gate Park, San Francisco. Probably 30,000 people were there. And the main speaker that day, Timothy Leary. Some of you may have heard that name. He was a big advocate of taking LSD as a way to escape all of these problems. And he penned the line that, that lived with that generation. Turn on, tune in, drop out. Make love, not war. These statements sound familiar to some of the people of my age. I felt like the country was going to come apart at the seams. And one of my favorite musical groups, this shows you a little bit about me, Chicago. Back then was called Chicago Transit Authority. Their first album, from which the song, Does Anybody Really Know What Time It Is, came from. And you're all asking, does he know what time it is? Anyway, <laughs> that first album had a song that I thought was so classic. Because in 1968, there was a demonstration at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago, strangely enough. And I was going to play this this morning, and then I, I thought better of it, because it, it's a song on that album. And the chanters at the protest are saying in rhythm, the whole world's watching, the whole world's watching, the whole world's watching. And that turns into a song in that same rhythm that talks about, and the song is called Someday. Someday you will see. That's what the song leads into. The country was literally coming apart. And in the middle of all of that, somebody appeared on the doorstep of a pastor in California, and this is that story, Chuck Smith. Lonnie Frisbee, long hair, freaky people need not apply, um, some of you will get that too. Um, <laughs> he stunk. He lived in a commune with a bunch of other people. And he found Jesus. <laughs> he said, the drugs don't do it. The free sex doesn't do it. I've tried everything, and I found something that works. It's Jesus. That's the story of that movie. Where Kelsey Grammer, Chuck Smith, goes from a minister that was totally rigid. And that's how I grew up. I came home from college with long hair, if you can imagine that. I looked like a Jesus freak because I was. And I didn't care. Something changed inside of me in college. Because honestly, I felt hopeless when I saw what was happening in this country. And I saw leaders saying things like, Turn on, tune in, drop out. What happened with Chuck Smith? 
They changed the world. But where did they go? They went down to the waters and they baptized right out in the ocean. Radical stuff. New believers in Jesus got dunked. And they came up <laughs> out of that water. New life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Kainos. If you're saying, I've done the best I can. What does God say? It's not good enough. It will never be good enough. You sowed a fig leaf and He killed an animal to cover my sin. He set His Son on the cross to cover my sin. He atoned for my sin on that cross. So I'm going to ask the praise team to come. And i got three questions for you today. Stand up, please. It's something really interesting. i got a used Bible from somebody. And if you're interested, I'll show it to you. It's so tiny you'll never be able to see it. But whoever was the owner of this Bible wrote on 2 Corinthians 5.17 these three things. A caterpillar, a cocoon, and a butterfly. Really, really nice little drawings. I don't know why they gave this Bible away. But when I was getting ready for today, I opened the Bible up and was like, oh, that's a gift. That is really neat. From caterpillar to cocoon, to butterfly. That's what Jesus... That's new life in Christ. So I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up. And here's the, here's the first thing. If you have never gotten to the place in your life where you said, Lord, I've done the best I can, and it's not good enough. You come. In fact, let me tell you, just run. <laughs> run to this altar and say I want that I want to be right with God that is the most important decision you can make today there is nothing you can decide more important than to have a right relationship with God come number two you have been given the job as ministers of reconciliation where are you on that journey and number three if you've got a broken relationship, you don't have to tell anybody, but there's hope in Jesus Christ. If your family, your best friend, your coworkers, your kids, if that's broken and you want to get it repaired, come and let us pray with you. Jesus, minister, ambassador, reconciler. Today, reconciled and reconciling. That's the message. If any one of those speaks to you, don't, don't wait. Just come. Any of these folks will be so glad to pray with you. Please, don't wait. Do not wait. Make this the day.
somebody to pray with you, just come. Just These folks all love you. This is a huge opportunity. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to others. This is your chance. God wants you reconciled with Him, reconciled with others. He wants you telling that good news.
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. If you need to make that decision, do it. Do it today. Do it today. Because he loves you so incredibly that he stretched out his arms and hung on a cross and said, this is how much I love you. This is how much I love you. who I am in Christ. I'm new in you for eternity. Thank you, God, for being my Savior. Change my heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit with it. Thank you, God, for changing my life. Thank you, Jesus, my Savior and my Lord. Now go. Go and be ministers of reconciliation like we're called to be. It's your calling. Go. Shalom. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, 